Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Psalm 23, it's the Lord is my shepherd. And it's a three-part series, and I was able to connect in our teaching team. We study together, and then to listen to Pastor Robert's message last week. And so he covered a few things that I just want to remind you of as we go into this, because it sets the stage. And that is that Psalm 23 is one of the most popular passages worldwide in the Word of God, every language. But it's also one of the most underappreciated and underutilized because people become so accustomed to hearing it. It, it. it fits so well in a frame on the nursery wall. It's so great in a card to encourage somebody. For some uh, places in our Protestant faith, it just makes the great prayer to memorize and repeat, mostly to comfort yourself, not really thinking about the power that's in the prayer or the power of the promises that are in the passage. And so we get accustomed to this, right? It's a wonderful, we all love it, we're all responsive to it. However, we lose sight of the fact that this is real. I mean, this is like relevant for everyday life. This wasn't meant just to inspire us. It wasn't meant just to be able to recite so we can, you know, feel good about finishing a memorial service, or it really wasn't meant for any of those things exclusively. It's, it's real, and it's a powerful, powerful passage that, that walks us through. And I, I, I'm just confident that this is becoming more and more relevant as we live in a world that is growing more and more anxious, more and more disoriented, more and more disconnected, uh, and chaotic all around the globe. We've, I mean, we've got unrest, and we've got division, and we've got confusion, and we've, we've got you know fear just bubbling everywhere you look in the world. There's not any happy place that, that seems to be, well, that's going well. Let's just keep that going. It's all got problems, and it's fraught with problems. But when you understand Psalm 23, you have a place where you can go. It's just one of the many places in the Bible, but it's condensed. And has all these promises. So I know Pastor Robert started this last week. I, I was so appreciative to listen to his message. But, but let me give you just a few different lenses. And these are the kind that you kind of step back. And before you start reading Psalm 23, you're like, okay, what is it I'm about to get into? And there's a number of different things that you, different lenses that you can look at to kind of get an overview of what Psalm 23 is going to talk to you about. And so let me give you just a few of them so you can appreciate just how rich this psalm is. Uh, the first one that Pastor Robert covered is Psalm 23 is a lifelong journey. It's a representation of what every believer can expect by getting born into God's flock, into God's family, and then growing and maturing, following his leading as he moves you along in the path of his destiny for you, his life as the shepherd, and then finally ending up in the house of the Lord forever or in for all of eternity in the literal presence of God and in the perfection of all of his promises. We have all these promises, but we only get to see and experience kind of a measure of them here because we live in a flawed world. But when we get to heaven, all these promises are going to be perfect and they're all going to be laid out before us. In fact, Ephesians chapter one says that they're so rich that for the rest of eternity, it's a long time, that God will continually be opening up the riches of his grace. 
In other words, 10,000 years into it, right about the time that you feel like you've, you've, you've toured the cities of heaven and you understand this new life that we're in, God's going to be like, you like that, don't you? Oh, this is wonderful. Watch this. And he's going to open up a whole nother vault of his, of his grace and his riches because he's literally limitless. And so we, we're going to get to live in that. Well, Pastor Robert also talked to you about the fact that you can recognize that Psalm 23 is a part of the day-to-day life. So it's literally a roadmap of how the shepherd will lead you and feed you and protect you and preserve you through every circumstance, through any situation that you encounter as we're living in a fallen world. So you don't have to wonder, you know, some people actually believe and and pastors actually preach, you never know what the Lord's going to do. That's not biblical. It's not. You don't know how he's going to do it because his ways are higher than ours. You don't know, you know, kind of when he's going to do it because he's thinking long-term compared to short-term and for our best benefit. And so he'll take a different path, but you always know exactly what he's going to do because the word of God is really clear. And you can look at Psalm 23 and say, I wonder what the Lord's going to do here. Well, it gives you a roadmap so you can tell pretty much where you're at in any particular stretch of your life. Let me give you a few more this morning that will be relevant to set us up for the teaching. When we look at Psalm 23, it's divided up into four different categories. The first category is in verse number one, and Pastor Robert covered it last week. It's introducing who the shepherd is. And you found out that he's a good shepherd. You found out that he's, he's, he's God. And so he's not just a really strong leader, but he's actually the limitless, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-ever-present God. This is the one who's personally leading you and I as a shepherd. So that's verse number one. The rest of the verses, verses two through six, talks about what the shepherd does. And we're going to cover some of those things today. But that leads you to a whole nother lens. Because when we begin to look at what the shepherd does, we're not just seeing the responsibilities that the shepherd performs because he's got to take care of the sheep, so lead them and feed them and protect them and preserve them. But you get to see the fact that he's doing that because of what's in his heart. So you get to see the heart of the shepherd. In other words, he's not, doing, he's not a good shepherd because he does these things. He does these things because he's such a good shepherd. Which means it tells us no matter what changes in the circumstance, he'll keep on doing these good things because that's just who he is. He's not doing this because we're good little sheep all the time. He's doing this because he can't help himself. This is the characteristic that defines him as not only a good shepherd, but as a loving God and the loving Savior that he is. Here's the fifth one, and we'll use this one to kind of bounce into the teaching this morning. When you look at Psalm 23, if you're you're looking, leaning in a little bit of a lens, and I'll show it to you this morning, it shows not just a relationship with God, but a relationship that deepens, that constantly gets closer and closer and closer. In fact, you can actually see it in, in, in the text. You can watch how something shifts, and it happens to be around a particular kind of circumstance that you and I are usually prone to wonder, is he even paying attention? And yet the text shows when it comes to this particular type of circumstance, the shepherd leans in. And the one who's understanding how the shepherd uh, uh, functions and who the shepherd is leans right in with him. And the result is your relationship actually gets more personal 
and more intimate and deeper than it ever was before. And it stays like that as you continue to go through the cycles of walking through. So let me, let me just kind of show you what it is. I'm just going to read Psalm 23. It's six verses long uh, from the New King James Version Bible. And I'll emphasize something so you can hear the switch, okay? And then we're going to bounce from there. And we're going to talk today about the shepherd provides and protects his sheep. Psalm 23, New King James Version Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now listen, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, now watch the relationship change with what we're about to read next. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For or because you are with me. See, up to this point, it's been like, I know this shepherd. This is what he does. But now all of a sudden, it got real. Now all of a sudden, man, circumstances are closing in. Now, this is like a make or break it. Like the bottom could fall out and this whole thing could come unraveled and fear is everywhere. And this person knows some things about his shepherd and he says, but I'm not going to be afraid because you, it just got real personal, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. And my cup runs over. Surely, it means for sure. It means there's no doubt about this. This is a statement of absolution. It's never going to change. It's never going to flounder. This is the same. He said, surely, absolutely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Good days, bad days. Days where you're on the money, days where you're off your game and you're struggling, you're asking yourself, who am I? Why am I doing? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I so this? Why am I so that? I know better than this. All the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Notice the house of the Lord, your house forever. Now this is personal and I can't emphasize enough. This is supposed to be real. We're supposed to read this and pull it right down into whatever circumstance we're in today and say, well, this is, I know this is what's going on in my life, but here's what I know. The Lord, my shepherd, is leading me into green pastures. The Lord, my shepherd, is parking me right next to the cool, still waters. The Lord, my shepherd, will restore my soul. See, this, this is the confidence we should have. And this is what helps us when we get into these dark and trying and kind of scary times. We can lean in and say, no, you won't leave me. Oh, no, no. You're going to be right here. And I take comfort in the fact that you're walking with me right next to me. So we're going to look today at the the shepherd provides and the shepherd protects. And you have your notes there. I'm going to give you two primary truths. Those are your fill in the blanks. And each of them will have three points. Again, I won't be able to cover all of them. But I'm going to do the best I can to get through as much as I can. Uh, and so you can take notes afterwards and, uh, and go study deeper for yourself. All right? So throughout the Bible, when we talk about the Lord our, being our provider, in fact, truth number one there, the shepherd provides. That's your first fill-in. The shepherd provides. And here's what you need to do. If, if you just study the Bible, you don't even have to be you know, a deep study. You don't have to be a theologian. It, let's just say you open the Bible not having any reference for this. 
When, if you start reading at Genesis and you go all the way to the book of Revelation, here's what you're going to find out consistently, overwhelmingly, is that God provides for his people and God provides abundantly. You, you won't find anywhere in the Bible where, where God is stingy, where, where God is reluctant, any more than you would see any dad or any mom and their feelings towards their kids. They want a better life for their kids than what they had, to the point that they'll take on extra work and they'll do sacrificial things because they want to be generous with their children. Where do you think that we got that from? This is the heart of our Heavenly Father. And see, we know this up here, but when we get into situations and there's, there's lack or we have a resource deficit or we want to step to another level, our heart begins to question. Yeah, but will God really do that? Listen to me, it's all over the Bible. You, you literally can't turn a page without seeing the consistency of God's generosity. Let me just give you a few uh, samplings of the scriptures, but I'm telling you there are hundreds, hundreds of scriptures that will validate this. Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus is talking to the group about this kind of thing. And he said, do not fear, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves this. This is what gets him excited. Psalm 37, verse 25, David said, I've been young and now I am old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken. That would be good news right there. But he didn't stop. <clears throat> Nor his descendants begging bread. In other words, this is a generational generosity. A generational abundance that God wants us to have. Uh, Pastor Robert quoted 2 Corinthians chapter 9 a moment ago about God's grace supplying everything that we need so we can always have everything that we need to be generous to everything that we, we want to be generous to or need to be. But, but in the chapter before, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says this, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can almost hear him pause. Like, you, you do know that, right? I mean, you, you do understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but then he unpacks it so you can be like, well, which, which grace are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, that grace, that grace. But he says, you do know this, right? That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in and they've been like, but that's talking about spiritual riches. Well, it includes that, but you can't even argue with the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 because the, the two chapters are very pointedly talking about financial resource. Talking about the resource you need to live to live right here and right now. And Paul says, you do know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And I'm just going to tell you, lots of Christians don't. They don't. They know God can but they don't know that part of this good shepherd's grace and his makeup is to be generous with his people. But Paul, So Paul challenged, he says, you, you do understand the grace of the Lord Jesus, right? That though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And he was expecting them to understand this. And then he was reminding them, and he goes on from there. And I know some, some of you are listening, and you're, you're thinking back through maybe other teachings that you've got, not from here, but from other churches maybe, or you're thinking about experiences, and you're saying, yeah, but Pastor God, I don't know if I can believe that. Can I just lovingly and graciously say it's still true? 
Even if you don't believe it, the Bible says it over and over and over again. But we need to understand some things about this grace and this generosity so that we can build our faith to begin to receive and to experience all that God has. So we're in Psalm chapter 23. Uh, We're going to focus on the second half of verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Listen to what he says. The first thing, he says, I shall not want. And the word want there is a really important word because it's not like uh, that we we, uh, interpret it as as instincts in America where it's just kind of every desire and, well, I want this and I want that and I want this. It's not that. The word want means to be devoid of something or to have an area of need. It doesn't matter that God doesn't care about our wish list, but, but God starts like any good parent would do with the fundamental confidence I will make sure that you are never in lack. I will make sure that you're never in a place where where you're going to hurt if you will trust me as a shepherd. In fact, last week, Pastor Robert took you to John 10.10. And here it says that we've got a third character in here. Jesus is introducing and said there's a thief that comes that doesn't come. Or in other words, the only reason he comes is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus made a very clear delineation. That's not why I'm here. I came for this purpose so that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. And by the way, the word life there doesn't mean just to stay alive. It means to live a vivacious life, to live a life that is rich with opportunity and rich with with, with wisdom and rich, rich with the ability to keep life moving and growing and stretching. And that's why he goes on and he says more abundantly. It's literally the Greek word that means that this vivaciousness is everywhere. That as you go on in life, that your life is stacked up everywhere with just the goodness of God, like you can't turn around without looking and saying, Lord, you've been so good. You've blessed me. It doesn't mean that, that our bank accounts are always full to the, to the place we want, but it means that there's opportunity and it means God's moving and you can see it and you can sense it. It means to really live. And Jesus said, that's the reason I came. And so when you search the Bible, you're going to find cover to cover that God is a very generous God, that it it just tickles him pink to be able to bless his children. But like any good parent, you won't find anywhere that God gives his people what they want, when when they want it, how they want it. No parent would do that. That doesn't make any sense. But it does guarantee that if you'll put your faith in the good shepherd, and if you'll begin to, to follow him, then the Bible says that he will give you everything he needs. And Psalm 23 is now going to keep unfolding and tell us that the shepherd does that in three ways. It's kind of this cascading or this waterfall, three ways that the shepherd will make sure that he provides for you generously. The first one is, you have it on your sheet there, is he makes. Psalm 23 verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That makes me lie down, that little short phrase in English is really all one Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word isn't talking about he forces us to do anything. He won't force us. He's not a sheep herder. He's a shepherd. He leads people. And so he'll invite you. He'll give opportunity. He'll encourage. He'll tug at your heart. He'll whisper to you. He'll wake you up in the middle of the night, prompting your thinking about something. But he'll never force you to do anything. This actually, this phrase, this little Hebrew word is written in what's called the causative tense. You don't need to remember that. As much as for meaning right now, it means what comes next is is caused by the personal presence of the shepherd. 
And, and what this is talking about is the presence of the shepherd creates such a secure and a safe place that the sheep know they can let down their guard and they can just experience peace. We were having a, we had a family dinner last night at our house and uh, my, my oldest son, Brandon and Jenny, were talking about they're going through this stretch with their kids where one or more of them each night will try to come get in bed with mom and dad. And the reason they do that, because something's unsettling, whether they can't sleep or they had a bad dream, but they know if they can climb in bed with mom and dad, there's just this like, oh. And, and we, you know, we were listening to them and kind of laughing and lamenting a little bit with the fact that that makes it tough for parents to sleep, but reminding them, hey, you guys did the same thing to us. You remember that, right? Can't tell you how many times I woke up in a little princess bed with my feet hanging out the bottom because one of my daughters was in our bed, and we wanted to make sure that they knew they could come to mom and dad and they could get, get in bed all anytime they want and they could experience that because we felt like that was a picture and going to be a picture for how the Lord is when you run to him. And so this is exactly what it, when he says he makes me to lie down, he's not forcing you. But when you begin to understand just how good and how generous this shepherd is, you can run to him. And as you run to him in his word, it just creates this, oh, like everything's going to be okay because the shepherd's here and we know who the shepherd is and what he promised he would do. And it goes on and talks about this peaceful place being a place of green pastures and still waters. Well, that's kind of important for us because it's very relevant to our life today. Green pastures for, for sheep is a source of nourishment and contentment because of the physical food that's there. And it gives them a comfort. It gives them a confidence. There's plenty to eat here and everything's going to be all right. The shepherd's here. But for us, nourishment and contentment is not just for our physical. It's for the whole person. It's spirit, soul, body, mind, even relationships are included in the promises of God. And all of those come through God's word. I'll come back to it in a minute, but let me just say about the still waters. For sheep, this is a place of cool, refreshing and of a rejuvenation as they're walking, and it's hot during the day, but they can go to the cool spring that's there, and they can drink. But for us, throughout the Word of God, the cool waters is a representation of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And so the Bible's consistent, especially in the New Testament, that every Christian needs, and I want to emphasize that, needs these two things if you're going to live life to the full that Jesus promised. If you want to stay vivacious and you want to stay full of confidence and full of faith and be able to not look over your problems, but look right through them and see the faithfulness and the wisdom and the promise of God, you have to have these two things. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter four, verse four, when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And that word live there is the, uh, the Hebrew or the Greek word zao, and it literally means to have a vivacious life. You can survive on just eating physical food, but you can't really live. You've got to have hope. You've got to have vision. You've got to have wisdom. You've got to be able to see what's in front of you and seize those opportunities and know that God has a rich, wonderful plan for your life. And Jesus said, it's going to take more than just physical food or, or your, 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 uh, the, the requirements of, of, of resource that can make your everyday, you know, your, your rent and, and your, your car payment and whatever else. It's going to take more than that to, to give you a vivacious life. 
He says, but it comes by every word of God. And, and that's why there's two main reasons why the New Testament tells us to come to church. Not just checking boxes. Because in churches where you can guarantee, even if you're struggling through your daily devotions or you're still trying to get the hang of it, you can come to church and you know when you get to church, there's going to be plenty to eat. You're going to get the Word of God. You're going to get a really good meal from a nice green pasture. And you're going to be able to drink from the waters of the Holy Spirit through worship and through fellowshipping with other people. You're going to sense the love of God, the encouragement. You know this. Sometimes you'll come to church and, and then there was that little voice saying, I, I just don't even want to go today. I'm too tired. I'm too this. But you go anyway. And then you leave and you say, man, I'm so glad we went today. Why is that? Well, because you got to eat and you got to drink. And that's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the author there is saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't stop going to church, especially when you see the days getting darker and darker and darker. Well, listen, that's when you need to pay attention to your spiritual nourishment. When, when you're in heat, you need to drink more water so you don't dehydrate. When, when you've got a lot going on, you need to make sure to eat right so you'll have the right energy and your body functions right. These things were supposed to make sense because every Christian needs to feed on green pastures of God's word. You can get by intellectually. You can, you, you can do other things to fill your time. And, and there's a lot of emphasis put on, you know, but what fulfills you? And those things are important. I'm not saying they're bad. But the word of God comes back and says, you know, what's the most important of all. And that is that you're feeding the deepest part of you because Proverbs chapter 4 says, out of that deepest part of you comes all the other resources of your life. Everything else starts from there. And so feeding on God's word in green pastures and drinking from the still waters is really important. And the reason that's so important because that's how we see next in verse number 3, that's how he restores our soul. He restores our soul by those green waters. And the word restore means to bring something that is depleted or someone that's depleted back to full capacity, to fully refresh it and fully replenish it again. And the word soul here in the Hebrews is the word nefesh, and it's talking about the innermost part of who you are. Like we've heard this, we might have actually said this before, something's happened and we just said, you know, that just crushed me. Man, that was like a gut punch. That, that, you know, that just floored me. And what we're really describing is not the outside of us, but we're describing there's a part of me that is, that's deep, deep in me. And when that thing happened or when that person said that, it just crushed me from the inside to the outside. But exactly what the Bible says, being in the green pastures and being walking with the shepherd by the cool waters that literally takes that crumpled up, wounded, broken part of you inside and just restores it and brings it back to fullness again. I love counseling, uh, Christian counseling especially. I love that because it helps us to unpack some things. And, and I, I have people that are friends, that are licensed professional counselors, uh, and, and I really respect that and I, I appreciate what they bring. But here's what the Bible tells us. The only one that can really restore that can fully restore your soul is this good shepherd, and this is how he does it. Then the last thing in the provision is, uh, it says that he leads us. We're in verse 3 now, the back half. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And again, this is another one of those causative tenses. And again, you don't have to remember that, but I just want you to know it so you can grab this. It means that what comes next is caused 
by the person or the action here. And so when it says he leads me, it's not talking about he sent you an online course. It's not even talking about you have ink on a page here. So you have the principles and the direction to know how to live. This is meaning that this leading happens in a causative way, which means the shepherd is personally and carefully and sensitively and individually leading you. This is what Jesus meant again. Pastor Robert took you to John 10.10 last week, but a few verses later in, in verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by my sheep. And those two particular words are talking about becoming intimately familiar with someone or something through time spent and personal interaction. Think about your spouse, think about your family members, think about your best friends. And the reason that you know them so well is because you spent time. Because you've had conversation, you've gone through some stuff together, right? You may know some things about someone else, but you know this person because you've lived in the same circle. And that's what the Bible is talking about with with this shepherd, him leading us. He says, I know my sheep. In other words, he said, I'm personally involved. I'm personally interactive. I'm not somewhere just up in the sky and watching down over the giant principles of everything. He says, nope, I'm standing right there with them and and I'm leading them. In fact, if you keep going down in John 10.10, his whole purpose there is to convince them this is a real interactive relationship. And it can be as deep as you want it to be because he wants it to be completely connected. And so in verse number 27, he he says this, my sheep hear my voice. In other words, he says, I want to know them personally. So listen, I'm talking to them, not through the Bible only, not through a preacher. I'm talking to them personally. And I haven't met anyone yet who, if they're very honest, would, would disagree with that. There are times when you can hear that still small voice on the inside and you know who's talking to you. You don't want to know. You try to excuse it, right? You try to, you try to procrastinate. Well, not now. Come on, hold it together. Don't, not, not here, not now. But you know who's talking to you and he's relentless. He'll keep talking to you. He shows up when you least expect it so you're not prepared to argue, so you're not fighting through distractions. He'll show up in those quiet little moments when when you're not even thinking about it. And all of a sudden he shows up and he whispers something to you because the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. But listen, it goes on and it says, "And, and, and they know me. And then it goes on and says, and I know them, which means they're talking back or they're not. I've heard people say that the Lord knows my heart. And sometimes I want to say, he sure does. And he knows that you don't want to be that close to him right now, mostly because you don't really know him. If you knew how good he was and you knew how real this was, you'd be running to him. But you don't understand that. You think it's rules and regulations and principles. You think there's consequences that you can't seem to to wrap your head around. And you don't know that this particular shepherd is trying to lead you in a wonderful way of provision or else you would run to him. And so it says, my sheep know my voice. And he says, and I know them. And notice this, when, when he knows them and they know him, it says, oh, they follow me willingly. 
I mean, they're looking for these green pastures in this wonderful spring. They follow me. And he says, and when they do, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of your hand. Can you see why they're so confident and they're so relaxed and they're so at peace when they know the shepherd and they know the shepherd knows them and this leading is personal and he's feeding them and and he's rejuvenating them. Can you understand why there's just like, Oh, I know this is crazy, but, but, but I'm, I'm just trusting. This is why you read Psalm 91 and you can't get your head wrapped around it. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge. He's my strength. In Him will I trust. And then it just starts describing, I mean, the, these terrorists that are on the earth and bombs are flying and, and arrows are shooting everywhere. And He's bold enough to say, a thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it won't come nigh me. See, this is exactly what he's talking about here. Why? Because he spent time with the shepherd and he understands that the shepherd really loves and cares about him. Let me quickly move. uh, I'm running out of time fast. Let me quickly move to the second fill-in and that is the shepherd protects. So we know some things about provision, but he protects. And let me just read that exchange we've already read once in verse number three. It says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, there's some Christians that get the idea that if you follow Jesus right, then you can reach a place in life where it's just always wonderful. It's super fun. It's super, you know, abundant in resource. There's nothing but joy all the time because you're doing everything right. And yet, here's what the Bible will teach you, that when you're walking that path of righteousness, which means you're, you're living right, you're walking straight, you're doing what he said, many times that path of righteousness will intentionally lead you into direct conflict with your enemy. In other words, God will walk you right into a fight. And you're like, why would he do that? But we know all over the Bible that he does. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 4, it says as soon as the word of God is planted in our heart, it says Satan comes immediately. There's a confrontation there to take away what was sown in your heart. You've experienced this. You've been in church. Pastor Robert's been preaching. All of a sudden, the word of God comes alive, and you're like, oh my goodness, man, God really wants to do that. And before you get to your car to drive off the parking lot, the enemy's trying to talk you out of that. Yeah, but you know, you got if you get your hopes up, you know, you, you thought that one time before and it didn't really happen. And what about your friend? And, and they're, they're in the same situation. That's just how life is right now. And Satan will come immediately to talk you out. Jesus was even more expressed, expressive in Matthew chapter 16 when he's talking to his group of followers. And he said, I'm going to build my church. And listen to this. And the gates of Hades, some translations say the gates of hell, will not prevail against it my insert, although they're going to try every single time. But he goes on and he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, again, it's, in a, it's, it's, it's called in a subjunctive tech, a, a, a tense there. And again, you don't have to remember that, but just remember this, okay? It means that when he says whatever you bind, is subjugated to whatever is already bound in heaven. In other words, some translations say it this way, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom so that whatever's already bound in heaven, you can also lock it up on earth. And whatever's been loosed and given to you in heaven already, already belongs to you, you can unlock it and loose it to flow free on the earth. 
And see, we begin to understand this because it's going to lead us into conflict. God wants us not to play in our own little safe space, but God wants us to live the life that we intend, and that's going to require risks. That's going to require us pushing boundaries. That's going to require us getting out of our comfort zone. But listen to me, when you're being led by the shepherd who will provide and protect, it's not a risk. The real risk is not following him and settling for a smaller, much less of of an adventurous life than God really had planned for you. Because God wants to reward you abundantly. And so here's what he's building up. Let's just keep going again. Verse number four, the paths of righteousness will lead us right into the valley of shadow of death. And that's important. Here's a little mini study, right? Scribble down a couple of scriptures. I'm just going to take you through. I want you to see the big overview picture. When it comes to the human race, the greatest fear, this is not a Christian idea. This is secular studies. Everybody agrees. The greatest fear that Christians have is not public speaking. It's death. That they, there's a self-preservation that kicks in. And we'll do anything we have to do to avoid pain and suffering, but mostly to survive. But here's what the Bible tells us about death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're not gonna, I'm just going to give you quick highlights. Write them down if you want to. The whole chapter, the Bible talks about how Jesus not only faced death, but he conquered it. You know that when Jesus rose from the dead... I mean, that was like a human being, all God, by the way, and all all human, a human being actually came back from the dead. That's impossible. Not possible. But Jesus did it because he was conquering death. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 4, and in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, you put those two together, and it'll give you this picture. It says that when Jesus rose from the dead, that he led captivity captive. Okay, and Colossians chapter 2.15 said that that happened in the spiritual realm. Jesus took everybody that was imprisoned uh, in, in the bosom of Abraham and literally brought them to heaven. But at the same time, Jesus led this giant parade in the spiritual realm. We didn't see it down here, but everybody up there participated. Jesus led this giant parade in the spiritual realm. And part of the parade was Jesus drugged Satan, and his whole evil army in front of all the spiritual realm and humiliated them in defeat. They all got to see, like a Roman victory parade, they all got to see, here's all the the captives that Jesus set free from the power of death and brought to heaven to live forever. But here's all the spiritual army led by Satan that was trying to defeat defeat Jesus, and Jesus won and drugged them all through the streets, and everybody got to watch them. You can read Colossians 2. It's pretty expressive just how humiliated they were. So humiliating that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writes and says, uh, said that if Satan and the rulers of darkness would have known Jesus was going to do that, listen to this, they never would have crucified him. They, they, they would have said, yeah, we're, we're not going there. We're not going to get in that fight. They had no idea it was going to turn out like this. But the important, the important we understand just how incredible this victory was because now, even though the enemy's not afraid of you and I in and of our own strength, not even a little bit, he'll come and intimidate you and I, but listen to me, he's terrified of Jesus, terrified of this shepherd. 
And, and the Bible says that if you and I will stand in, in, the, in the power of that shepherd, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, if, when the enemy comes to intimidate us, if we will stand and resist him and say, nope, I'm part of God's family, I'm, I'm protected by the shepherd, if we will resist him, the Bible says he will flee from you. Let me give you this one for free. That word flee means he will turn and run in stark raving terror for fear of punishment. He's terrified of the shepherd, terrified of him. And so the Bible says that. Now, quickly, I'm finishing right here, I promise. So the shepherd protects us, but he does it in three ways. And I'm going to go quickly. Number one, he stays with us in the battle. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this word comfort has a wide range of meanings. It really is talking about the entire experience, all the way from, uh, from regret all the way to, uh, to remorse and, and maybe to, to uh, finally to relief, but all the experiences that come with all of a sudden realizing, uh-oh, I'm in a crisis. Uh-oh, th- this is serious. Uh-oh, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. When all those wide range of experiences are challenged, and, and they all reflect, but when they all come together, they reflect the security of being watched out for and when necessary, even brought back into an alignment by someone who really cares about you. Realizing that even if I mess up, somebody's watching me and loves me enough to bring me right back into the safe zone rather than just watch me get destroyed. In fact, this is what Hebrews chapter 12 expounds on when it says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord and don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. And we are. We think if the Lord chastens us, if he corrects us, if he rebukes us, see, he's mad at us, and now he's not going to be our provider and our protector because we, you know, we abandon him, he's going to abandon us. It says, no, 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 don't be, don't be discouraged, don't, be, don't despise that, because whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. In other words, that parental relationship. We mess up often, but the shepherd will love. But we'll find out here that the shepherd's rod and staff, they comfort us because it's what the, what the shepherd uses to bring us back into alignment. Sometimes, yeah, Hebrews chapter 12 says he has to give you a swat. So I know, I know my son Brandon. Listen, my two daughters were pretty easy to parent. My son Brandon, sometimes you had to give him a whack just to get his attention. Because he was so focused on what he wanted and how he thought it should go. You try to talk, you try to train, you try to teach. He's not listening oh, there you are. Now let me talk to you for a little bit. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, sometimes the Lord will do that. He'll give you a swat, but listen to me, it's because he loves you. He's trying to get your attention and he wants to comfort you by bringing you back into alignment. But make no mistake, that same rod and staff, they do not bring comfort comfort to the enemy. They're anything but comforting him. Instead, this is what the Lord uses to strike and to drive the enemy away. In fact, the Lord is so good at protecting that the next thing he does, he blesses us right in the middle of the battle. It says, he prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Our prayers usually go something like, Lord, get me out of this mess. Lord, take the risks away from me. Lord, Lord just, just push all this away. Lord, get me out of this job or get me out of this circumstance. We don't like those kind of hair-raising, scary situations. But listen to me, sometimes the Lord will lead you right into a situation where the greatest blessing is going to be in the middle of, uh, of enemies, is going to middle, be middle of risk and threats and the pressures there. And in the, in the natural, that feels very risky. But the Bible says, nope, 
I'm the one leading you, and I can provide for you right in the middle of the risk. In fact, listen to 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Paul describes this. Paul says, a great and effective door has been opened to me, and, or some translations say, but there are many adversaries. There's a lot of people that are unhappy about this. There's a lot of circumstance, man. If they don't go this direction, this is going to be really challenging. And yet you can sense the, the shepherd leading you right into that path saying, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Because I'm, I'm going to be there taking care of you and I'm going to bring a blessing right in the middle of this. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Well, here's the quick question. Why would I do that? Why would I go, go right into the waters? Why don't I just go around? Why don't I find the bridge? Why don't I rent a boat and get over the top? Why don't we go through the waters? Because we're following the shepherd. When you go through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor will the flames scorch you. Some translations say the smell of smoke won't even be on your clothes. Now think about sitting around a campfire. I love campfires. But I know if I do a campfire in my backyard, I got to go from there to the shower. And sometimes I don't want to sit at the campfire until 11 o'clock at night talking and having fun and then have to go take a shower. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. But the smell of smoke's all over me. But he says, if you follow me right into the fire, not only will you not be burned up when you're done, smell of smoke won't even be on your clothes. This this is the promise of the shepherd. And so uh, we got to know that in the middle of this, see, we, we think we have to get outside of a crisis before the blessing can come. But the amazing thing about the shepherd, you can still be in the middle of a circumstance and he says, anybody ready for lunch? He'll feed you. There's joy in the middle of these crises. There's incredible encouragement and strength where all of a sudden you just get a lift and you realize, man, I'm eating tall grass and I'm drinking from a cool pool, even though I'm right in the middle of the crisis of my life. But this is the shepherd. He's so good at this. Here's the last one and we're finishing right here. He refreshes us from the battle. Talk about that smoke not even being on your clothes. God never leads you into a situation that he doesn't completely refresh and replenish on the backside. There's so much in the Bible I wish I could take you to. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God because he who comes to God must know two things. Number one, that he is God. Most Christians know that. And that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That word rewarder is such a powerful word because it indicates two sides of an investment. It indicates, first of all, that there's a payout or we would say a paycheck. When you follow the Lord and put your trust in him, there's a reward. There's a paycheck. There's a payment that's due on the backside because he promised you, if you'll trust me, I will bless you. So there's a blessing. But here's what most Christians reach. If they can even get to that part and get faith in their heart, they they miss this next part. And the next part is, not only is there a paycheck, but there's a payback. That word's also inclusive of a reimbursement. Everything that it costs you walking through that trial. All the bumps and the bruises and the challenges in relationship and the the finances and the sleepless nights and everything it costs you, God will not only give you the paycheck, but he'll pay you back for all. He'll reimburse you for all of that. And this is what we're, we're seeing in here. He refreshes us in battle. It says, you anoint my head with oil to the point that my cup begins to run over. Not just enough. 
You'll spill it all over the place. And we find out throughout the word of God, this anointing with oil is consistent. It always is talking about a calling and an, an inauguration or an initiation and empowerment for service. And it's also a, a, a symbol of healing and of restoration and of favor. And, and both of them are implied in Psalm 23. When he says that you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over, it's talking about God will empower you. God will enable you. God will install you into the next part of your journey for you to continue moving forward in him. But not only that, he will pay back, he will heal, he will restore, he will replenish everything that, it, that it's taken to get to that point. So we're not just beat up and beleaguered trying to hang on to the end. But we're moving forward in the power and the blessing of the Lord. Let me read you two scriptures and I'm done. Acts chapter 10 verse 38, it says, uh, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for or because, why was Jesus able to do that? Because God was with him. Well, can I bring you some really relevant good news? God's with us. I don't just mean broadly. I don't just mean, you know, of course, in the Christian faith, the big church. I mean with us individually, Jesus is with us, and he's still going about doing good, healing all who are oppressed by the devil. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and I'm going to read a couple of verses. It says, For all of the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ. All of them. All of them. I know some people will argue and say, well, that's, you know, that's really Old Testament. All of them. Every one of these promises we find, and, and Psalm 23 is loaded with them. Every one of these promises have already been fulfilled in Christ. Listen, with a resounding yes. In other words, Christ stepped up and he paid for all of those promises to be fulfilled in completion, in full. In fact, if we read the Bible right, Christ's payment was an overpayment. He actually paid more than was actually due so that all these promises would be paid for. But watch what comes next. It says, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes. Well, other translations include some other parts of the meaning. It also means I agree. So if I say something good, right? Some of you, I could see your mouth moving. Amen. That means I agree. That means yes, I, I accept that. Yeah, that's truth right there. Whenever we say amen, it's not just the conclusion of a prayer. We're saying everything that has just been stated, I agree with that. I receive that. I put my stamp of approval and my agreement into it. And so the Bible says all of these promises have already been paid in full by Jesus. And they're already in heaven. They're stamped yes with your name on it. Here's the question. Do you read those promises and you say, yeah, but I don't know if that... Or do you read those promises and say, amen, because I need that. Amen. I'm so, I don't deserve it. I can't ever earn it. But amen. I'm so glad that Jesus did that, that Jesus gave it to us. And he says, when we do that, verse 21, uh, it goes on and says, which means, yes, ascends to God for his glory. God smiles real big and said, that's what the whole thing was about. Jesus paid for it. So you could say, yes, please. Thank you so much. And the exchange has been done. And God says, and that was the plan from the very beginning. 
Jesus would come and purchase so that you could receive what you desperately needed and the family comes back together and the destiny, the kingdom keeps moving forward. And it goes on and says in verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 21, it is God who enables us, this is the apostle talking, along with you. So not just them, well, that's the preachers. Well, that's the pastor. Well, that's Pastor Robert. No, 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 along with, along with you to stand firm in Christ, he has commissioned us. Now, other translation says he's anointed us. Same word. Christ was anointed by God, so he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And this says that we've been anointed to do the same. And he's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our heart. Listen to this. As the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Now, here's where I'll end it today. And then, Pastor Robert, I'm going to invite you up to close this. We're sitting here today and we're studying the Bible and we're reading these scriptures and many of you are shaking your head. Yes, yes. And let me tell you why you're shaking your head. Not just because intellectually you're smart. Not just because you can keep up with good logic and good rationale. Not just because you can connect conceptually a bunch of dots. You're you're shaking your head, yes, because as you're looking and you're listening to this, the Holy Spirit on the inside is confirming something. It's resonating and you're saying, yep, That's true. That's what the Bible says. Absolutely. That's what the Bible says. Now listen to me. That's such an important component that we not overlook. Because when the Holy Spirit confirms something inside so that you can, with honesty and integrity, say, that's right. Amen. Yep, that's what it says. Listen to me. That's the first down payment that God has given you that will guarantee that the rest of the promise will come to pass. You just received your first down payment because there was a witness in your heart by the Holy Spirit who said, by the way, that's true. And you, and you said on the inside, some of you with your mouth, I know that. Yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says. Yep. Now listen to me, there's going to be an enemy that's going to come try to talk you out of that. That's going to throw all kinds of circumstance and statistics and experiences and what other people say. But you've just got the first installment of a down payment by the shepherd himself. That he says, if the Holy Spirit's telling you on the inside, no, that's truth, there's your guarantee that I'm going to stay on the job and I'm going to bring all this to the house. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.